But Mark chapter 13, verse 32, it says here, it says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you all, I say to you, I say to all, watch. The title of this message is Watch, Pray, and Work. I want to talk to you here today about the pressing need of this hour, regardless of what's happening globally, even currently in our in our our country and around the world. Very pressing message that we always need in these end times is that we are watchful, we're prayerful, and that we are working for the Lord. Let me pray for us. Pray for you, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would bless your word, that you would help me to present it to your people, God, that the church has always found a way to worship together. And so I pray that you, even in this maybe unorthodox method, that you would still anoint your word, you would speak to your people, that you would touch someone, that you draw us closer to you and make us more like you, Jesus, that you administer to the needs of your people. Help me to be used in this way, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Our text here today, Mark chapter 13, 13, it correlates directly with Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 21. And this has to do with end time events. And these scriptures and other scriptures throughout the word of God have always been a source of spirited debate in the church for centuries. And the timeline of events and things that will happen um, the end time events and, and things that, that will happen in what sequence. There's all kinds of people in different camps as to what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, if you're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, all these different uh, classifications of, of what you believe about end times events. And, and Jesus in this scripture, he is talking about end time events. I do want to say this before we go any further, that the moment that Jesus rose from the grave, and he ascended on high. That was the beginning of the end times. We are in the, we've been in the end times. These are the last days, okay? Um, if you recall the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on the upper room in Acts chapter 2, Peter, he referenced Joel, uh, the prophet Joel. He said, in the last days. And he was saying, these are the last days. And so for the last 2,000 years, it's been the last days. We're in the church age, this dispensation of time in the program of God. We do know we're in the church age, okay? the, the age of the church after Jesus' ascension. And there's all kinds of things you can read in the Revelation and Daniel and discuss end times events and things that will happen and how they will happen. And there's some things that there's common consensus on. There's other things that are, that are up in the air as to how things will happen and the interpretation of Scripture and the symbolism of various passages. But what Jesus is trying to, to teach here, that the theme of what he's trying to teach and what he wants to get across to you and to, and to I through this scripture, the essence is that you must be prepared. That whether if it was 2,000 years ago with his ascension, he told the disciples to be prepared for his coming. And he tells us the same here 2,000 years later. You must be prepared for the coming of the Lord. And not just the coming of the Lord, but generally you need to be prepared for eternity. You need to be watchful. And we're going to look here in a moment from our scripture, the absolute necessity that we are watchful, vigilant, diligent people. The meaning of this virus and what's happening, happening I don't know. I, I'm not going to claim to, to know and to prophesy what this means. I don't know. But I do know that what you see in the earth, there's a groaning in the earth, and there has been a continued groaning in the earth. And anytime we see suffering or illness or calamity or even death, it's, it, it makes us realize 
the smallness, the smallness of us, how finite and small that we are as human beings, it makes us realize that the word of God is true and it should bring us to a place of humility, of soberness, and come to the place of a, a prepared heart for what the future may hold. You're not promised anything. I'm not promised anything. We don't know. I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon to me, to my family. I don't know what's going to happen uh, tomorrow or next week. I just don't know. I don't know when the Lord's going to come back. I don't know when my last breath is going to be. But most of all, it's important that we are prepared for eternity. Of utmost importance that we are prepared. I think a lot of people, well, I think some people can relate to this illustration. I know I can because this happened to me on more than one occasion uh, in high school. Uh, You show up to class. It could be any class. It could be history class. It could be science. It could be English class. You show up to class. You're ready for just a normal day at school, normal day at this class. You sit down at your desk and you realize the classroom is silent. People have their heads down. This class hasn't even started yet. And there's this soberness that's over your fellow peers. And you, you start to realize they've got notes out. They're reading. They're looking at things. And you ask the person next to you, what, what are you doing? And the person tells you, don't you know we have a test today? We have a final, we have an exam today. And it's in that moment you realize, oh no, I forgot that I we have a test today in English class or whatever it is. Whether it be you, you weren't listening, you didn't pay attention, you got your dates mixed up, um, you forgot. But I, that sinking feeling you get when you show up to class completely unprepared for the test that's about to be handed out and you can't hide, you can't leave, you, you can't, you can't sidestep the, 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 the possibility of you missing the test. You have to sit there and take the test. And I've had that experience. I, I'm sorry to say, you're sad to say, I've had that experience a couple of times in high school being, being an airhead uh, teenage boy. Sometimes you forget things, but that, that feeling that there's a test, there's, there's, there's this, this pressing thing that I have to do and I am not prepared. I'm not prepared to do it. I'm not prepared to take the test. And what Jesus is is teaching here, that you must be prepared for the end. You must be prepared, first of all, for the rapture of Jesus, the rapture of the church. And and furthermore, be prepared for your last day here on earth. Be prepared for eternity. J.C. Ryle, in his his book entitled Thoughts for Young Men, he says this, Hell itself is truth known too late. Be wise in time. What youth sows, old age must reap. Do not give the most precious season of your life to that which will not comfort you in the later days of your life. Sow to yourselves rather in righteousness. Break up your hard ground. Don't sow among thorns. In every moment you live, Every moment you live, every day you live, everything you're doing, every the way you live everyday life, you are sowing to something. You are sowing to something. You either you are either sowing to the flesh, which will lead to a reaping of destruction, or you're sowing to things spiritual. You're sowing to things that are eternal and that will be there to comfort you in the end. And the way that J.C. Ryle puts it, he says, Hell is itself truth known too late. Be sure, every person that is in hell today, they have come to a full knowledge of the truth. They may have denied it, they may have lived for themselves while here on earth, but the reality of the truth, the reality of the truth of the Word of God, what Jesus has said, it is known to every single person who is in hell. What a fearful thought that not only Not only are you reaping judgment in hell, but you now know the full truth. And the truth was presented to you while you still had a chance. And now knowing the full truth, it's too late. There's no going back. That's a very, very, very sobering thought. Hell itself is truth known too late. And the message that Jesus says here and throughout the New Testament we see that you must be about the Father's business. We as the church must be about the Father's business in everyday life. 
that we are sowing to things that are spiritual. We are sowing to things that are, that are eternal, that we are storing treasures that are in heaven and not here on earth where moth and rust and fire can destroy. There are so many people who are living their lives for things that will do nothing but burn in the end and can do nothing to comfort them on their deathbed. No amount of money or cars or lands or jobs or relationships can comfort you on your deathbed. The only thing that can comfort you is the person of Jesus Christ. It is the truth. And so it matters what we are sowing to this very moment. And Jesus is telling his disciples, and it's throughout the New Testament, that we must be a watchful people. We must be a prepared people. When Jesus came the first time as God incarnate, came and was born from a virgin woman, he lived amongst us for 33 years. There were people who were ready for him then, and there were people who were not ready for them. There were people that when the word was sown by the Son of Man, by Jesus, when he spoke the word, when he spoke the truth, when he, when he preached the gospel, there were some of those who had prepared hearts, who received what he said, and they listened to it, and they ran to him as Christ, as Messiah, and they placed their trust and faith in him. And there were very many others in that day and time, and a lot of them were religious hypocrites of the day, the Jewish religious hypocrites whose hearts were so hardened they were so full of religion and the calisthenics of religion that they, aren't, we weren't, they weren't able to receive the Son of God in His first coming. And in the same way that He came in the first, His first coming, that some people received Him and some people rejected Him. And even today, some people receive Him, some people reject Him. There's always going to be, there always has been a people who are prepared and a people who are unprepared. There will always be a people who are sowing to things that are eternal, and there's always going to be a people who are sowing to things that are carnal and that are temporal, that will not be there to comfort them in the end. And it's, and it's the Holy Spirit's great desire here today and for all of time that we would be people who would have an eternal perspective, that we would be prepared, that we would be watchful, and we would be diligent about the future. And it's times like these that really bring it home. It's times like these where it causes, causes you to see the smallness of men. It causes you to see um, how easily an economy can be taken out. It causes you to see that where people once placed their trust in their job and their status, that's gone. And their trust is gone with it. It's very sobering. It's very humbling. And it should bring us to the place of greater dependence and preparedness in for the day of judgment and for the day of the coming of the Lord. Listen, this message here today, it should be a great comfort and a great encouragement for every person who is prepared, for every person who is in Christ. In the same way that Noah and his family were in the ark, they had nothing to worry about when the floods and the rains came. They had been obedient and they were safe in the ark. And for those of us who are Christ, we don't have to be fearful about the future. We don't have to be fearful for judgment. We don't have to be fearful about what's going to happen tomorrow or for our life. We don't have to be fearful in death. We don't have to be fearful for the coming of the Lord because we're in Christ. We're safe in Christ. We're in that ark. And come what may, we have nothing to worry about. For the per but for the person who's not in Christ, for the person who's outside that ark, it, this, this is a warning. This is a, a truth that declares what you are and what your future is without God. And it is an offering of God's compassion, an offering of God's salvation to whosoever will, will call upon the name of the Lord. He will save them. He desires to save all men. He, he takes no pleasure in the death of of the unrighteous. He wants to save all men. Second Peter 3 and 3 says this, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water, and in the water, whereby the world that now was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment 
and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And that's why these are the last days. The last 2,000 years have been the last days. The last 2,000 years is nothing in the timeline of God. One day is as a thousand to Him, a thousand is as one day to Him. Time is of no consequence to the Lord. It's nothing to Him. And He's saying, don't forget this truth. But the day of the Lord will come. Or here's what he says in verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in that which the heavens shall pass away with the great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved okay, in light of this truth, in light of this truth that by the word of God he preserves and by one word he destroys. By one word he saves and by word, one word he commits judgment and he executes judgment on creation. This same God who preserves and upholds people by his grace and by his salvation, by one word he can ex execute judgment. And in light of this truth, in light of the soon passing of this world and passing of us in light of this he says what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conversation and godliness looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of god wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat nevertheless okay in light of this great devastation and judgment that will come upon the earth the truth of this matter. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, those of us who are in Christ, we look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing, last two verses, seeing that you look for such things, you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. This is a very sobering passage, but a very encouraging passage. The word of God is true and it shall come to pass. And for the person that's in Christ, what manner of persons ought we to be? We should be people who are looking up and we're living in such a way that we are prepared and we are ready for the future. We're ready for eternity. And this is a warning for those of us not to slack because God is not slack concerning his promises. What he said he will do. He said he will save, and if anyone would call upon his name, he will save them. But he says he will execute judgment, and at the end of all things, judgment will come to pass upon every person who's outside of Christ. But we, those of us, what manner of persons ought we to be, those who are in Christ? We ought to be people who are looking and who are diligent. So I want to draw from our scripture here in Mark chapter 13, make a few points of application. D.L. Moody says this, A man's future will be according to what he is here prepared for. If he is not regenerate, heaven will have no attraction for him. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. I say quite often, nobody makes it into heaven by accident. No one makes it into heaven by accident. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And where I am, there you will be also. And a, a per, heaven being a prepared place is meant for prepared people. And the manner of persons that we ought to be, what Peter says and what Jesus is saying in our text, is to be a watchful people, a prepared people. And so, here's the point. first point I'd like to make from our text in Mark chapter 13. Number one, a prepared people are a watchful people. A prepared people are a watchful people. If you look in verse 33, he says, take heed, watch, and pray. And actually, in, in a matter of six or seven verses, he uses the word watch a total of four times. The, the, the word that continuously is drawn up and used here is the word watch. Now, he is talking, first of all, yes, watch for the returning of the Lord. Watch for Jesus. 
Keep your eyes to the sky, if you will, and watch for his return. But also in this watching for him, it entails a watching over your soul. It entails you being diligent and watchful here and now. Here's what this word watch means. It does mean looking for his return. But but what, what does it mean to look for his return? What, what does that mean? What does it look like? Here's what the word watch means. It means to give strict attention to, be cautious, active, to take heed lest through remission and laziness some destructive calamity suddenly overtake one. It means to be hyper alert. And he says continuously, watch, watch and pray. Um, the doorkeeper must watch. Watch, therefore. And the, the very last word that he uses in verse 37, what I say to you, I say to all, watch. And he says, because I may come back. The day of the Lord may be, nobody knows. It's going to be sudden. It can come at midnight. It can come uh, when the rooster crows. It can be in the morning. It could be at noontime. It could be any day, any point of the day. None of us know when the Lord is coming back. Nobody knows. And you're kidding yourself and anybody else is kidding themselves and they try to calculate and put together and formulate dates and times and, and things and signs. We have signs that indicate to us when how things are going, but nobody knows the day of the Lord. Not even the angels. And Jesus said, not even the Son of Man knows. Not even Jesus knows, he says in Scripture. Nobody knows. But for the child of God, Though we don't know the, the day of his coming, we shouldn't be surprised of the day of his coming. Even though we don't know the day or time or, or, or what manner he's coming, we should not be surprised when it happens because we are a watchful people. We have heeded what he said and we have prepared ourselves for his coming. We've prepared ourselves for his coming and if not his ra the rapture, we've prepared ourselves for the day that we take our last breath. We're prepared. We are prepared for eternity. This watchfulness consists of every one of us being a doorkeeper. As a Christian, you are a doorkeeper. You are one who is a doorkeeper to your life and to the life of your family. You are one who is watchful and you are there that is watching over the household, watching over the door of your heart and of your soul. So to be watching for the Lord is to be watchful over your heart. Because what manner of persons ought we to be? Ought we not to be blameless and holy and righteous people? And that entails being watchful over our soul. This watchfulness consists of, number one, allowing no stranger nor enemy to enter in to our spirits, which are the or into our by our senses, which are the gates of the soul. So, as a doorkeeper, that is, if you are the doorkeeper over a dwelling, over a house, over your house, you're the doorkeeper. You only allow what allow things to come in and come out. It consists of not allowing the enemy to enter into your life. First Peter five eight says, "Be sober, be be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he." may devour. If you are watching over the front door of your house, you're not going to allow any beast in to come devour you or anybody else in your household. And likewise, you're going to be watchful over the door of your heart. You're going to be watchful. You're going to ask the Lord to put a watch on your eyes, to put a watch on your ears, to put a watch over your heart, which is the wellspring of life, that you're going to be diligent and not allow anything to come in that would destroy your life. I heard somebody say recently, just imagine if we lived our lives in such a way that in the natural, if you knew anytime you walked outside of your door, or you left a place, there's a roaring lion who is prowling your property, who's prowling the parking lot when you leave the store. Imagine what, what our response would be, what our activity and what our actions would be if there was an actual literal lion outside your house right now. And the, and the only way to make it to your car is, is, is to be watchful, is to look about you and to be on your toes and to keep your head in a swivel. Just imagine if there was a prowling lion every time we walked outside who wants to get into the house, but also wants to destroy us. We would be extremely diligent. We'd be extremely vigilant. 
We would keep our head in a swivel. We would do everything we could to preserve our lives and to maintain our safety and the safety of our households. We would not let anything into our house. We would not let anything into our hearts and our spirits that would derail us from the life of God. Also, as a doorkeeper, being maintaining this spirit of watchfulness, this hyper-alertness, keeping your head on a swivel, taking heed, not, not slumbering, not sleeping, looking and watching and seeing what is approaching the door of your heart. As a doorkeeper, neither, neither do you allow, as a second meaning of this doorkeeper, you don't per permit anything that belongs to the master to go out. And so the life of Christ, which is within you, you don't allow anything out. You don't allow anything to snuff out the life of God that's within you. You don't, as a doorkeeper, you don't allow anything out that should stay in. And so the precious promises of God, the life of Jesus Christ, who you are in Christ, you preserve that. You allow that to be maintained and cultivated from the inside out. And you have a watchfulness over your soul. You have a watchfulness over the life of God within you, over the spirit of God within you. And you, you hold precious who God is, who Jesus is to you. And allow nothing, nothing to draw that out of you. Don't allow sin. Don't allow lust. Don't allow this world. Don't allow fear to draw out of you the influence of the Spirit of God within you. <coughs> be the door. Allow the Spirit of God to be the doorkeeper over your spirit, over your heart. Maintain this watchfulness. <clears throat> and he says here in verse 36, he says, Lest coming suddenly, he finds you sleeping. This is a warning to all of us that we, we can, if we're not diligent, we can digress to a place of slumber and sleeping and we fall asleep on our, on our post. And when he comes, when eternity comes, we can find ourselves sleeping and unprepared. He says, let that not be your testimony. I've, I've shared this, this story before, but probably... Two years ago, Lily, my oldest daughter, who's now five, she, probably when she was three, it was a Sunday afternoon. She was over at my in-laws' house. My 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 uh, uh, mother-in-law was taking Lily for a walk in in the in the grass of their yard, and this was I, I think early spring, and so snakes are starting to come out. Wildlife is starting to to come out. Things are things are, are happening happening in wildlife, you know, with spring coming. And um, my mother-in-law, who's always diligent watching over the children, they live around a bunch of woods. Just as Lily was about to take her next step, my mother-in-law yanked her up by her arm because she was just about to step on a copperhead snake that was laid out in the yard. And my mother-in-law called me right after it happened, absolutely frantic and in a tizzy. And very frazzled over what had just happened over the prospect of my daughter, her grandchild, almost stepping on a copperhead and possibly being bitten and greatly harmed. And if it weren't for the diligence, if it weren't for the watchfulness, the, the hyper alertness of any good grandmother, such as my, my mother-in-law exhibited, my, my little girl very well could have been harmed or even killed by stepping on that poisonous snake. And so it's, it's of utmost importance. Jesus said four times, watch, 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 watch for my return, watch for eternity that's coming soon. And in doing that, when we watch for the Lord, that means we're watching over our souls. We have a diligence. We have a hyper alertness. We're not allowing anything to come in that shouldn't. We're not allowing anything to go out that needs to stay in. And we're keeping our eyes on Jesus. Listen, how many children... How many children grow into adulthood and perish because of slumbering parents? Because parents who have been entrusted to watch over the well-being and the souls of their children, they have slumbered at the will, and they have given their children over to the devil, over to the world, and they have not walked into the stewardship that they should take over leading their children in the things of God. How many slumbering parents who care more about club sports and athletics and academics more than the eternal well-being of their children because they were slumbering has led to children in hell. 
What a fearful thought. I want to be watchful over my soul, and I want to be watchful over the soul of my children. And if I maintain this diligence, if I maintain this hyper alertness, be sure I don't know when he's coming. I don't know when my death is coming, but I'm prepared for it and I'm not surprised by it. I have no fear for the future. The second thing that a prepared people do, a prepared people are a praying people. If you look here in verse 33, he says, take heed, watch and pray for you do not know when the time is in conjunction with our watching, maintaining diligence, not slumbering, not sleeping, maintaining a hyper alertness. Prayer allows us to access the divine assistance we need in order to be watchful. Prayer is what allows us to access divine resources, divine power, divine strength, divine wisdom, divine resources and assistance that we do not have in ourselves. Everything that Jesus did, he did in dependence upon the Father. And if there's anything that Jesus taught his disciples, he taught them how to pray. Continuously, he went to deserted places and he was alone with the Father. And Jesus made himself subject to the human experience to the point that he also made himself subject to full dependence upon the Father while here in his earthly ministry. And it's the same with us. We cannot be watchful. We cannot watch over our souls and we cannot keep going. We cannot be prepared if we resort to trusting in our own strength. You cannot. You have no strength in yourself to overcome the wiles of the devil. You have no strength in yourself to overcome the lust of your flesh. You have no strength in yourselves to overcome the temptations of the world around you. You have no strength in yourself to overcome the fear of tomorrow and the fear of how am I going to pay this bill? How are we going to get food? How am I going to get clothing? You have no strength to overcome worry and anxiety. But accessing power and strength and wisdom and encouragement through prayer is how you do get that. How you do maintain and get strength from the Lord. You cannot watch in your own power. You're going to fall asleep every single time. You're going to slumber. You're going to fall asleep. You're going to fall by the wayside. But the way that we watch, it's by the divine assistance given to us through prayer, through seeking the Lord and being in his presence. First Peter 4, 7 says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be, your, be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. The command to watch necessitates the need for prayer. The greater the need, the greater the despair around us, the greater um, um, the fear and the worry around us, the greater need to pray, the greater need to be fully dependent upon God because in my strength, I cannot do it. I cannot do it. Ray, Leonard Ravenhill says this about prayer. He puts it so wonderfully, so succinctly, and it's quite convicting the way that he talks about the necessity of prayer. He says, poverty, poverty stricken as the church is today in many things, she is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers, many players and payers, few prayers, many singers, few clingers, much fashion, little passion, many, many interferers, few intercessors, many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. The two prerequisites to successful Christian living are vision and passion, both of which are born in and maintained by prayer. The ministry of preaching is open to few. The ministry of prayer, the highest ministry of all human offices, is open to all. <coughs> the secret of praying is praying in secret. A sinning man will stop praying, and a praying man will stop sinning. If you remember in 1 Peter 3, he says, What manner of persons ought we to be? If I'm to be blameless, if I'm to be spotless, if I'm to, to, to maintain righteous living and a righteous perspective, it is through this prayer. A sinning man will stop praying, and a praying man will stop Sinning. Prayer is profoundly simple and simply profound. 
Prayer is the simplest form of speech that infant lips can try, and yet so sublime that it outranges all speech and exhausts man's vocabulary. In the matter of New Testament, spirit-inspired, hell-shaking, world-breaking prayer never has so much been left by so many to so few. For this kind of prayer, there is no substitute. We do it or die. He's saying in verse 33, take heed, watch, and pray. The necessity of prayer or the command, the command to watch necessitates the need for prayer. It's of utmost importance that we maintain intimacy with the Lord, a fellowship with the Father, be in His presence, seek Him, keep our, our ear close to His heart, listen to His voice, receive what He has for us, receive the wisdom, the strength, the encouragement He has for us, snuff out all other, all other voices around us and listen to His voice, the voice of truth that allows us to be watchful, a prepared people are watchful, a prepared people, number two, are prayerful. We must be a people of prayer. We must be a people of the prayer closet, a, a people of the altar that brings death to self and a life to God that he allows, he, we allow him to use us to the fullest degree as we die, as we decrease, and as he increases. I encourage you to simply be in the presence of God. Prayer is simply profound. Number three, a prepared people or a working people. And so in this watchfulness over our souls, waiting for the coming of the Lord, we're praying. It doesn't mean that we go off into a cave somewhere, become a hermit. It doesn't mean that we cocoon ourselves and, and bubble wrap our lives and, and, and segregate ourselves from all of society and culture. It necessitates that we put our hands to the plow, and we be about the Father's business. A prepared people are a working people. In the meantime, in this period of time where we're watching, in this period of time where eternity is, is, is merely a breath away, it, it is a moment away in light of eternity, we should be a working people. The Lord has placed a mandate upon His church to be His mouthpiece, to be his hands and feet extended, and he has given all of us a task to do. And he has given all of us the great commission. He has given all of us a work to do. Every single one of us are called to the work of the gospel. Now, when if you look here in verse 34, it says, It is like a man going to a far country who left his house, and gave authority to his servants. Okay, it's plural. Multiple servants. Not just one servant, but multiple servants in the household. And to each his work. He gave authority to his servants. And to each of them he gave a task into his hand. And commanded the doorkeeper to watch. If you recall the parable of the talents. Where in this parable Jesus speaks of the master who gives two talents to one servant. He gives five talents to another servant and ten talents to another. And he asks all the he tells all these servants, take these talents, these this money, and do something with it that will increase the value. Invest it, uh, utilize it, and when I come back, I want to see an increased amount of talents or money in your hand. I've entrusted, I've made you the stewards over this resource, and now you go and use it. You work with this responsibility I've given you, and you go and you increase what I've given you. And so the master leaves, he comes back, and the one who had 10 talents, he increased it, and he double-folded, and he got 20 talents. And the one who had five talents, he invested it, and he worked with it, and he got 10 talents back. And the one who had two, he was so fearful that he wasn't, he was going to lose the talents, that he took the talents and he buried them in the sand and did nothing at all. He did nothing with the talents and he did nothing with his life. And when the master came back, he had a, a great pronouncement of judgment upon the one who did nothing. He said, you could have at least put it in the bank and got interest. You could have done something. You could have, the, you could have done the least amount of work and still gotten something back for these talents, but you've done nothing. You buried them and you did nothing. 
And the lesson there is, every single one of us, as Christians, we're all servants of the Most High. And we all have been given responsibility in the kingdom of God. Not all of us are called to the same work. Not all of us are called to the same responsibility. Not all of us are called to preach. Not all of us are called to be housewives. Not all of us are called to be missionaries. But all of us are called to be to do something in the kingdom of God as Christians, as the church. And we're called to do something. God has given a work for you to do. And while he's gone, while Jesus has gone, as he ascended and he's coming back for his church, it's of utmost importance that we don't just take what he's put into our hands and just bury it in the sand, but we put it to work. And that we become good stewards over the time he's given us, the resources he's given us, the, the intellect, the gifts that he's given us. And that we put it to good usage for the furtherance of his kingdom in this waiting period, in this time of waiting on his return. That we are watchful, that we're prayerful, and that we get to work. It's in times like this, when so many are paralyzed by fear, that the church must put their hands to the plow and keep going forward. Keep going forward. Be encouraged in the Lord by the spirit of his might and keep going forward and work and push forward the kingdom of God. Push forward his righteousness. Seek him first and push forward the kingdom of God. Now, this does not mean that we are working for our salvation. This has nothing to do with that. It's just simply that we are responsible for the task that he has put into all of our individual hands. There are some things in the word of God that apply to all, but not all of us are called to the same work necessarily. And so while there are various servants and various works, whatever God has put into your hand, it's, it's of utmost importance that you are a good steward of what you're called to do. I love this quote. and I don't even know where it comes from, but it says this, he does the most for God's great world who does the best in his own little world. All of us have spheres of influence. All of us have our own little world, our own little lives. And you do most for God's great world. That is his great kingdom. When you do your best in your little world. You do the most for God's great world. In, in, in view of his great kingdom and his great plan, you do most for that when you do your best in your own little world. You can't save all, but you can save one. You're not going to save everybody, but you can be an influence in the people in your life. So whatever you're called to, whatever the Lord has put into your hand for such a time as this, you be faithful with that. You don't worry about the amount of talents, that is the amount of money or the resources or the calling or the gifts put, in, put into somebody else's hands. You look at your little world. You see what's put into your hand, what God has called you to. And you say, you know what? God, you've called me to do this thing. I'm not going to compare myself with anybody else. I'm going to be responsible for what you gave me. And I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to make the most of what you've called to me to do. The place you've called me to be, what you've called me to be in my life, the place you've called me to be, the person you've called me to be, how to use my gifts, how to use the resources. Listen, you, you, God's will and his life has glorified you, even in you, even as a housewife, even as an operator at the plant, even as a policeman, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, if, if you're not called to be a pastor or a missionary necessarily. Wherever God has called you, you make a difference there. You work for the Lord wherever you are called, whatever you're called to do. You are diligent. You put your hand to the plow and you work for the Lord. I don't work where you work. I don't go to school where you go to school. You go there. God has placed you there. You do with what God has given you into your hand. You do with that. And be a good steward of it. He does the most for God's great world who does the best in his own little world. 
This quote puts Jesus' words in perfect context. We each work in our own little world that God has called us to, which has immense impact on God's great world. In closing here, I want to read to you something from 1 Thessalonians, which is a, a great a scripture of great comfort for the people of God. You know, it's very encouraging and a great comfort for the people of God to review continuously the promises that God has made to us. Okay, because the reality of our situation. The reality of maybe our present affliction, the reality of maybe our present pain, the reality of maybe the hard times or the things we face, so many of those things can be, the reality of what we face can be such a source of discouragement and stress in our lives and worry. And it's important that we continuously review and meditate upon the promises of God, and that we look forward to the future that we have, and the promises that God has made to every single person who is a child of God. Every single one of us have promises from God, and, and what can bring you through present trial and tribulation, despite the current reality, is the promises He's made to you. And we, we talked about that last week, about, about hope, and, and having our hope in the Lord, and the promises He's made to us. But for the Christian believer, for the Christian believer, when you're continuously sowing into the things of God and, and you're, you're sowing and you're sowing and you're sowing, and it may not be getting better and maybe there's a lot of struggle in your life and there's affliction in your life and there's a wayward child and there's, there's financial heartache and struggle, but you're still being faithful to the Lord. You're still being watchful. You're still praying. You're still keeping your hand on the plow. You're still being a good steward of what he's told you to do. I want you to know that God takes note of that. God takes note of what we do. He takes note of our diligence. And God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder of the diligent. He takes note of that. And I promise you, if you continue to sow, continue to sow that, that are things of heaven, continue to sow into eternity, you'll both reap now life and you'll, you'll, you will reap life abundant hereafter. God takes note and he will allow you to reap what you've sown in righteousness. You will have that comfort. You will have hope. You will have strength. You will have the goodness of God in your life, even currently and in the end, to be glorified in the presence of God. And this is the same, this is a comfort that Paul gave to the Thessalonians in regards to those who had died and in regards to the rapture of his church. He says this, I do in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, I close with this. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him the, uh, those who sleep in Jesus. For, the, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. My hope, what I'm looking forward to, and what I'm sowing into is that one day I will eventually be with the Lord forever. So that we will always be with the Lord, he says. And he, he sums it up with this. He says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. There is no greater comfort for the Christian, even in light of affliction and what we may face temporarily, than to know, I will at the end of all of this, if I'm watchful, if I'm prepared, if I'm keeping my eyes to heaven, walking, watching over my soul, soul, I can be comforted to know 
that I will reap what I've sown in righteousness and I will at the final finality of it all, I will stand before God and I will be like Jesus and I will stand before him and it will, it will all be worth it. The work, the trial, the prayer, the watchfulness, the death to self, the continual sowing into things that are heavenly and spiritual, even when I don't necessarily see a reward immediately, the walking in faith, trusting in God's promises, even when I don't feel it, even when I don't see it, even in a lot of persecution and heartache, I keep my eyes on Jesus. It will all be worth it. It will all be worth it. And so comfort those, comfort one another with these words. What a great comfort to the child of God for the one who is watching, for the one who is praying, for the one who is working, that when Jesus comes, Though we will not know when he's coming, we will not be surprised that he did come because we have been prepared all the while. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. It's of utmost importance that we maintain this watchful spirit, that we are people, that we are people of the spirit. We are people who live as citizens of a kingdom that is not of this world, but a kingdom that is of heaven, a kingdom of God, that we live for things eternal and things that are not passing away. It's of utmost importance in times like these and otherwise that we maintain this eternal perspective. I'm going to have Weston help me uh, to turn to turn this off because I'm in, in here in his his uh, his office and. Uh, <laughs> but but before before I close, I just want to pray with you. Weston's going to pray with us. But um, I just encourage you, keep your eyes on Jesus. Maintain a watchful attitude. Wa be watchful. Be in prayer. And continue to work. Continue to be the church. Continue to pray for one another. Continue to pray for your household. Love God. Love people. And I promise you, you will reap if you don't faint. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that you would bless your people. I pray, God, that you would maintain a spirit of endurance, a spirit of hopefulness, that, God, we would look to you and not to the things around us, that we would be encouraged, that we would uh, have a special spiritual energy that comes from you in prayer, that we would have this divine assistance and resources that we need in order to be watchful, in order to, to, to defend against the wiles of the devil in order to maintain the life of God within us, to, to continuously put on the Lord Jesus and sow to things that are spiritual, that we may reap those things that are eternal. God, I pray that you bless your people, that you would encourage them, that you would keep them uh, hopeful and their eyes upon you. I pray that you would bless households, God, that you would keep us healthy, that you would help us to be a light and a witness to those around us, that we are not people who are without hope in this world. So help us to be comforted in this, God. Help us to be a prepared people because heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. And so we keep our eyes upon you, watchful until that very moment, whether if it be we raptured into the air, that you come on the clouds with glory and the trump of the archangel is blown and we meet you in the air. Or if it be with my last breath in death, God, let us be prepared to meet you face to face, God. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. We love you very much and we will see you next time.